worship you and, and Lord we thank you that we can be your family and now Lord just we share a few thoughts between ourselves Father we pray that, that you would use what's said Father for your glory um, that Lord we would hear what we need to hear even if it's not even what's said that you would spark thoughts in our own hearts or thoughts that challenge and encourage and bring us into a deeper relationship with you Father God even if the message people hear this morning is not what's written down here in front of me Father God so be it may your kingdom come where it needs to this morning we pray Father God, for your glory we ask it, in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good to be back. Um, there a lot of epic journeys would have taken place over August, won't there? Um, but we'll come to that in a minute. Across human history, there have been quite a few epic journeys, haven't there? Think of Columbus. Um, think of Polo, not the mint, the man. Think of uh, Hillary climbing Everest. Think of Armstrong on the moon and Earhart. Travelling, trying, well, trying to circumnavigate the globe by aeroplane and not quite managing it. They've all made many epic journeys, haven't they? And uh, some of you here would have made epic journeys, but I want to tell you about an epic journey that me and Andrea made many years ago. We were very fortunate, very blessed enough to have the opportunity to travel across China. And uh, we went to a couple of countries on the way home from Bangladesh, and we thought, while we're here, why not go to China? It's only next door-ish. And uh, so we headed up to China, and we uh, went all the way from Hong Kong up and uh, we stayed in Xi'an, the city of Xi'an, which has got the, the lovely walled city, right? beautiful place. If you ever get a chance to go, it's fantastic. And, uh, and our aeroplane flight home was from a, a small town called Kunming, which is quite close to Xi'an on the map when I looked from England. Anyway, we booked the flight home, and we had to get a train to Kunming in uh, China. And, uh, and so we got there. When we arrived at the train station, we discovered that we didn't have a sleeper carriage, that we had a third-class seating, and that particular train was rammed, packed with people, and in my mind, they were wooden chairs, but they might not have been, they were wooden chairs, and uh, with about a 1,000 people sitting next to me, and it was hot, and it was ram-packed, and did I mention the train ride was 36 hours? Only half of you are sympathetic, the other half are thinking, well, so what? (laughs) 36 hours on a wooden chair, hot, crammed, rammed with people, 36 hours, and it was so bad, I even attempted to read Lord of the Rings. I'm not overly bothered, frankly, by Lord of the Rings. I'm a Philistine, I'm afraid. I'm so sorry. (laughs) But we got through it. Do you know why we got through it? It wasn't because we read some wonderful literature. It's because we had two things on that train journey. The first was we had a reason for being there. And the second was we had a destination in mind. So every hour that agonizingly passed was another hour closer to our destination where we were going. And I was just thinking about journeys, probably because it's August, probably because I've been journeying around uh, different parts of Europe. Um, But I've been thinking about places that we go to and how we journey through life, because we're always going somewhere. Um, I did Google how much, how quickly the earth spins and how fast it goes around the sun, but um, I didn't want to make you feel dizzy this morning. But we're always travelling, even when you stand still, you're hurtling around the sun at... 167,000 miles an hour or something. We're always going somewhere as human beings. Physically, we go to work, some of us. We go to school or university or off to the shops or the cinema or out with family and friends or trying to avoid family and friends, but that's a different issue. Um, But we're always going somewhere, aren't we, as human beings? That's part of being alive, isn't it? And isn't it interesting that when we stop having to go somewhere, often people become depressed, they become despondent. Often when people retire and they've no longer got a reason to go somewhere in the morning, they become depressed, don't they? They say, well, what's the point? 
Where am I going? Why am I going there? I've got nowhere to go. And I know people that have retired and who massively struggle with just not knowing where to go. They get up and they go out for the sake of it. I had to get out and go for a walk. But why? There's no purpose to that walk and it's really difficult for them. And we should care for people um, who give up work and who stop and we should make sure they're Uh, I've got friends around them. But we take journeys in life. Sometimes they're physical journeys, but often we take emotional journeys as well. Through um, bitterness or through the hurt of a breakup, you're journeying away from something that might have happened in your past and you're traveling, hopefully, to a better place emotionally. Or maybe you're journeying from a place of security to a place where you don't feel so secure. We're always going somewhere. We're always moving. Even spiritually, the Christian life, is never described in the Bible as a Christian stand or a Christian sit or a Christian rest. It's always a Christian walk. And in fact, you think of the Israelites in the Old Testament. You know, they were always going towards the promised land. When they were released from Egypt, they had to walk across the desert. God just didn't bring the promised land to them and say, stay here, it's all right. He had to walk. They had to walk all that way to the promised land. We're walking towards glory as Christians. Spiritually, we're traveling towards our king. Jesus, when he called his first disciples, simply said, come, follow me. Not come, believe in me. That's implied, obviously. But come, follow me. Leave where you are and walk behind me and follow where I'm going. That's the Christian life, walking behind our king. And so let me ask you a question this morning, a generic question. Where are you going Physically, where are you going? Where are you on your way? Some of us are going to Brazil. Some of us are not going to Brazil. Where are you going in your life? What are you aiming for? Are you wandering aimlessly from place to place? Not really quite sure why you do that or why you go in that particular direction. What is your ultimate destination for the journeys you take emotionally, spiritually, even physically? Why do you do what you do? Why do you go where you go? What is the point? of it are you sure you even know maybe this morning you're just kind of ambling through life not really quite sure where you're going to end up not really sure what it's all about some of our young people will be going off to university for the first time in a few weeks it's my least favorite time of the year september i hate it when they all go off to university and i think there's about three going off i hate it it's awful um and we wish them well we pray for them but we know they're journeying off to start their lives and we're not probably going to be a part of it in the way that we were but as you travel through life who's going to sustain you who's lifting you up who's giving you that purpose showing you why you're doing it where are you going to pitch your tent as you walk through the desert of life are you going alone who's guiding you as you go through life the answer is of course Jesus Christ the Bible describes him as the good shepherd he calls us to follow him to know his voice He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the gate. He is the bread of life, the water of life. He is the only one in the universe who knows how to navigate the darkness. Because Psalm 133 tells us the night is like it is daytime for him. And so for some of you this morning, you can switch off after this next sentence. Because maybe some of you this morning simply need to know that if you follow Christ, you will never walk alone. A few weeks ago, me and Andrea and the kids, we did take them, um, we went to Thessaloniki. I've been calling it Thessalonica because I'm a Christian and, you know, 
It's in the Bible, isn't it? Thessalonica, the book of Thessalonians. But I got there and realized they call it Thessaloniki, and I felt a bit of a fall. Anyway, we went to Thessaloniki in Greece, and uh, we had two days there, and we drove down to, um, got a cab down to a resort, but we won't worry about that. And then we had two days in Thessaloniki, and, uh, and we liked to walk and explore a town. We said to the kids, you can have two weeks sitting on the beach being boring, but for the two days in Thessaloniki, we were walking everywhere and exploring as many churches and ruins as we can, their response was something along the lines of, <laughs> anyway, but that's just their generic response to, to walking. And so we got there, and we forced them uh, on our second day to walk to a monastery on the top of a very large hill in the heat of the day. It's important to note that we are English, and so we wait till about half past one when the sun's right above you, and we don't take any... We took that much water, I think, and we walked in the heat of the day, and they complained, and we became even more English by telling them to grow up and get a grip of themselves, because this is what you do. All the, all the Greeks had just vanished. It was just us. <laughs> Out. Anyway, I think there might be another English couple, anyway. And so we walked all the way to this monastery at the top of this big hill, and the reason I mention it is because of the photo that's going to appear behind me. This monastery is the place where Paul the Apostle, you can see him in the photo, that's not a photo, that's a a drawing, Um, sorry, just in case, they didn't have cameras back then. Um, And so that is the place where they say Paul the Apostle, when he arrived in Thessalonica, as it was then, Thessaloniki now, that is where he stood, and according to Acts 17, where he preached the gospel to the Thessalonians for the first time. It is the most amazing thing to stand somewhere where someone from the New Testament stood and preached the gospel and changed the history of that part of Europe. That's not an overstatement to say that. You can keep that one up for a while. Um, actually, Dean asked me this week if I felt a kind of an emotional connection she's gone, um, to, to being where Paul stood. And to be completely honest, as I stood there, I didn't think, oh, I stood where Paul stood. What really challenged me, actually, was when it dawned on me that he'd taken a massive journey to get there. It really struck me because Paul had been in Philippi down the road. Um, if you go past through Halkidiki, uh, you get to Philippi. I know that now because I've been on holiday. I didn't know it about a month ago. And so he was there and he decided to come to Thessalonica and preach the gospel. And it is a hundred miles from Philippi to Thessalonica. And he would have walked along the main Roman road to get there. Presumably he'd have gone on foot. I don't know if he'd have gone by a donkey or something, but he'd have gone there by foot, 100 miles, would have taken him a long time to walk that distance. He was probably only there about three weeks, Paul, because he was so desperate to preach the gospel. That long journey didn't bother him one tiny bit. The short amount of time didn't bother him. All he wanted to do was tell the Jews first and the Gentiles that Christ was the Messiah, and he preaches the gospel. And what really hit me was that he himself challenged me. He was a Christian just like I am. Paul and me, in a sense, are identical. Um, He's just taking Jesus more seriously than I am. He was 100% sold out for Jesus Christ. And what really hit me was that his entire life was about journeying from one place to another, not for his priorities, not for his career or his comfort, but only so that he could preach the gospel to someone else who would never, ever, ever heard it and whoever would listen along the way he would tell them as well and that really challenged me because I thought I've traveled all this way why to have fun and to annoy my children by making them walk but that's just the blessings of parenthood isn't it but I've come to relax Paul came here to preach the gospel and I just wonder how many journeys we take in life that aren't really ever for God 
They're only ever for us and what we want, our priorities, our decisions. And actually, Paul's mark is left all over the Middle East and Europe. In fact, this is his second missionary journey uh, recorded here when he goes to Thessalonica. And in fact, this is his very first time entering into Europe, the continent of Europe. And in fact, I don't think it's an overstatement to say that if Paul had not come to Thessalonica, it is conceivable to say that maybe I wouldn't be standing here as a Christian this morning if he'd not obeyed the call of God and preach the gospel there. It's conceivable because the gospel would have come some other way and it may not have got to Britain in the same way. Who knows? It's not inconceivable to say that. And so I'm grateful for Paul's journey. There's another picture, the second picture um, here. As I stood there, I discovered afterwards I wasn't supposed to take photos in here, by the way. The man shouted at me, camera away. And I thought, anyway, but um, so here... They've got, obviously, a picture of Jesus on the cross, and they've got this picture of Paul. And I stood there, and a man walked past me, a Greek man, and I wondered, because they sort of very into ritual expressions of their faith in places like Greece. They're Greek Orthodox. And so there's, uh, in different churches, lots of of signs of the cross to different apostles and pictures of apostles. And, um, And I wondered if this man would pay homage to Paul first, and then Jesus, or Paul only, or only Jesus, then Paul. And I watched him around the corner. I was, I was surreptitious like that. Anyway, and he walked up and he got to the picture of Paul and he walked right round it and he stood at the cross of Jesus and he kissed the hands of Jesus, the feet of Jesus and did all the sort of ritual expression you come to expect from the Greek Orthodox. And I thought, what a wonderful illustration of what the Christian life is ultimately about. It's ultimately not about the glory of that man, but the glory of that one. And how it's supposed to be that our mark is that people, when they see us, only see that we've led them to Christ. And they walk round us to get to him. I thought that was just fantastic. A real challenge, actually. In Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, um, Isaiah writes these familiar words. He says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Paul so desperately wanted to be that set of feet. So often mission for the Christian is someone else's job, isn't it? We say, well, someone else will tell them. I'll just come. In James chapter 4, verse 5, James says very clearly um, to us, doesn't he, hang on. He says, do you think... That's wrong. That's so annoying when that happens. Oh, I think of Timothy, that's why. Never mind. In Timothy, it says, do the work of... Did you not get the right verse either, David? Oh, I don't know. You shouldn't listen to me. Um, I think it's... In fact, I think it's Timothy. Um, Timothy 4, verse 5, I think. Um, Paul says there to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Lots of other things I can't remember off the top of my head. But do the work of an evangelist. And actually, as Christians, all of our jobs is to be those feet that bring good news. It's not someone else's job. It's our job to preach the gospel. In Acts chapter 17, we'll move swiftly on from my mistake. In Acts chapter 17, verses 1 to 9, we get a description of what happened when Paul first went to Thessalonica. And I'll just read these verses to you. It says, When Paul and his companions had passed through hang on, um, Philippolius and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue, As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, so across three weeks, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. 
This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. I like that. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. When was the last time we started a riot in the city for the gospel? When was the last time it was so, uh, it messed up the status quo so much, the message of Christ, that people just wanted to get rid of us rather than hear it? We're so often nice, aren't we? But we want to be dangerous because we preach the truth and people don't like it. We need to be more dangerous like that. But I go off on a tangent. And so they formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. In fact, we say there is only one king, Jesus Christ. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they put Jason and the others on bail and let them go. In Thessalonica, Thessalonica of Paul's day was not so different to a city like London of our day. Thessalonica, if you're not sure, not aware of it, sat on an intersection of two massive Roman roads, roads that connected Rome to the east. It also has a large seaport. So Thessalonica, like somewhere like London, would have been full of people going to and fro, working, busy, travelling, always journeying somewhere. Some of them would have been well-off. In fact, it was a well-off city, just like somewhere like London. Yet they still needed Jesus. They still needed Christ. And Paul was desperate to get there and preach the gospel. And we saw over that three-week period, the effect was instantaneous. Loads of people say, sign us up, tell us more. We want to believe in this Jesus. Others become jealous and they try and have Paul beaten up. And, uh, and the tradition is in Thessalonica that he escaped the city wall. There's a picture of that as well. Um, there's some pictures of me on the beach later, but we will save you those. Um, and, but they say that he escaped through the city wall and had to run away, and that's a, a part of it just near that monastery. But why did Paul go to Thessalonica in the first place? He went because he had a mission, a God-given mission, because he understood from his own life that life without Christ is devoid of purpose. His heart actually ached to be those feet that brought beautiful good news to people that needed it so much. Anne read to us 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and uh, we haven't got much time to go through it, but that tells us all that these Thessalonians came to understand. In verse 4, they came to understand that God had chosen them to be his people. In verse 5, we understand they understood the presence and the power of God's Holy Spirit, something they have never experienced before. Verse 6, they knew the joy of salvation, joy that is deeper than pleasure. Verse 8 of chapter 1, they understood the truth about life and what it was really about. Verse 8, they knew God. Can you imagine knowing God? Well, you don't have to, because if you know Christ, you know God. They lived with the expectation that Jesus was coming back to make all things good at any moment. They knew about the resurrection from the grave. So many people live in the fear of death, it says in Hebrews. But we know about the resurrection of Christ from the grave and we don't fear death. These Thessalonian Christians were given the gospel and no longer feared death. 
And that's the same thing in verse 9. Paul journeyed to that city and told them good news. And this church grew and grew and grew. And these Christians went from being idol worshippers, worshipping nothing, to worshipping the one true God. And they become such a shining example that other places heard of their faith. I wonder if other people hear of our faith in this church. The people say, the Christians in the congregational church, wow, you want to be like them. Because that's what they said to the Thessalonians. You want to be like them. They have got it well sorted. They know everything. They believe it's deep. They're well good. Do people say that about us? I don't know. I don't know. They don't tell me. Um, but isn't that, wouldn't that what we want? We want other churches and other Christians to say they've got it right down the road. They're the ones to be like. Paul preached and they had a deep sense of their faith. And it went deeper and deeper and deeper. And I guess what I'm trying to say this morning, I guess my message this morning, as simple as it is, is a clear one. It's just to pass on the challenge that I received as I stood in that monastery in Thessalonica. And it's really just a challenge of this question or these questions. Where are, where are we going as Christians this morning? If you're a Christian, what are your priorities in your life? What are my priorities? Are they gospel priorities Am I concerned for my reputation and my career and my house? As I do those things, which are not terrible in themselves, are they, is there a gospel priority in there? Am I doing it for Jesus? As a Christian, as I travel through life, am I journeying for Christ? Or am I hoping he comes with me rather than the other way around? Am I looking to share the gospel with other people? When was the last time we shared the gospel with someone who had never heard it? When was the last time we shared our faith We've got an alpha launch on the 30th of September. It's going to be a barbecue followed by a powerlifting presentation and a testimony of men that have been transformed by Jesus Christ. Number one, are you coming? I hope the answer is yes. The second question is a little bit tougher. Who are you bringing? Because it isn't somebody else's job to bring a friend to that. It's your job and it's my job. If they say no, hey-ho. They say, yes, brilliant. Alpha, at the end of September, early October, it isn't somebody else's job to bring people. It's yours. It's mine. And if we don't invite our friends and family to find out more about Jesus Christ, then who's going to be signing up? No one. Absolutely no one. But we are called to be feet that bring beautiful, good news. Would I consider giving up my career, my house, and live by faith to serve my God anywhere he called me to journey across this world. And as I stood there, that's what challenged me. It challenged me that I have only one life, and it is so short. And I, am I using it for its primary purpose, which is not for me, but to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? Should we pray? Father God, we just lift up, Lord, everything we've shared this morning. We thank you, Lord, that we can worship you. And, Lord, I just want to thank you for that challenge that, that I felt as I stood in that place in Thessalonica. Lord, what an amazing man Paul was. Some people don't like him for some reason, but, Lord, I just think he's compelling. I think he's one of the first best Christians to really get what it meant to be Christ-like. Lord, he was a man that had it all. He was well-known, he was popular, he had the status of a Pharisee, yet when he found Christ, he gave everything up. Everything was rubbish in comparison to knowing Christ as his Lord. He wanted to know and preach only the cross, which was foolishness to the wise, but saved those that heard. Father God, make us more like Paul the Apostle from the New Testament. 
Lord, may our footprints be left in people's hearts. May our footprints be seen across desert places as we walk to where the gospel has never been heard. Father God, give us the courage to prayerfully invite people to our Tough Talk event and to our Alpha course. Father God, we want people not just to become, start coming on a Sunday for the sake of it. We want people to hear the gospel and know you for the first time. May we all do the work of an evangelist this week, not out of obligation or duty, but out of gratitude because you gave your only son, you died on the cross for us. Lord, we just lift up these thoughts this morning and I just ask that you would use them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.